Man, let's pray. Let's get into this word. Father, it is a privilege and an honor to be at a place that just desires to honor those who serve. And it's not to um, shrink or to minimize or to not show light, cast light on those who serve behind the scenes, Lord, because you know and we know, Lord, nothing happens just from the elders alone. There are people who have been giving all their energies, times, resources to this thing, to this work. And I thank you for them, Lord, and I pray that they receive satisfaction and peace in you, knowing that the gospel is going forth and that you are getting your glory. Father, I pray that this morning, as we come in this place, that you would give us an audience with you. Pray that you would allow us to sit at your feet for a little bit, to not be mentally too busy to learn from the master. Pray that you would give us the the privilege and the honor of basking in your word and allowing it to do whatever you see fit for it to do in our hearts and in our minds. I pray that the lyrics of the songs would play in our minds as we think about how to praise you with all of our souls, all of our minds. Lord, you are worthy of every ounce of glory that we can muster up to to project your way. And we will continuously project Every little ounce of glory that this place could muster out towards you, Lord, we will be a prism that reflects all that this world is towards you, that no man get the credit for the work that you do, Lord. You save souls. You transform things that have once broken, things that were once dead. You bring to life, Lord Jesus. You do the work of restoring our families. You do the work of healing our marriages. You do the work of helping us uh, live with peace and solitude within ourselves. Lord, you do this work. We can't do it. And we can't manufacture it. And when we do, it's nothing but a cheap copy. We need the real one. And this morning, I pray that you would visit us, oh God. That the ghosts would drop on us. Holy Spirit, we welcome you in this place. This is your house. We're just guests. Get all the glory in Christ's name. Amen. You guys hear me okay? Is the echo? We good? Y'all got to tell me now. Come on. We all right? Cool, cool, cool. Uh, my name is Canaan uh, Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. And I want to start off just by asking y'all this one simple question. Why are you here? Why? Why are you sitting in this place at this time right now? Is it that you decided that you was going to come here to hear a word this morning? Possibly. Are you here because you decided that you wanted to sing with the saints? Are you here because you've been culturally indoctrinated to go to church? Why are you here? your motivation for coming to church on Sunday mornings? To be sure, I'm glad that you're here this morning, no matter the reason that you had for coming. But if you open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, the passage that we're going to look at is going to explain for us and give us some reason 
as to why we gather here at this place at this time on Sunday mornings. My prayer after you get to Hebrews 10, my prayer is this, is that after this morning's word, that at the end of this service, Pillar Church is a little different. And that next week, Pillar Church feels a little different. And that for the next several months, years, decades, this place would feel just a little bit different. Guys, can we allow the word of God to do something to us this morning? Can, we, can, can you pray in your heart as we run through his word that it changes us and we're not the same as we were coming in this place? Okay, have that disposition about you. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23. It says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. So let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. No doubt, almost all of you in this room have heard this verse or a piece of this verse before. And usually this verse is used as a hammer of shame in order to guilt you to get yourself into church on Sunday mornings. Is that how you've heard this verse? As a hammer of shame, why don't you go? Well, you know, you don't neglect the gathering as some are in the habit of doing. But I submit to you that we've been looking at this verse as a hammer of shame when it really is a hammer of endurance on your behalf. This text is a call for the Christian, and it's a means by which, it's a recipe for and by which the Christian will endure as a Christian in this world who doesn't like Christianity. This text is built for you to endure. It's not a hammer of shame. The context of the book of Hebrews is a people who are enduring persecution. And in the midst of their persecution, the author of the book of Hebrews is encouraging them to keep their eyes fixed on Christ in the midst of their persecution, and that's the only way they're going to be able to endure the circumstances that they are going through. We gather that you may faithfully endure. That's why we gather. That's why you're here. You're here that you may faithfully endure. Look at Hebrews chapter 10 in your cross-reference sheet. It's a QR code on your, on your bulletin. Hebrews chapter 10, look at verse 32 through 36. Listen to the author's call to these people. He says, remember the earlier days when after you had been enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Y'all hear that? Verse 34 again. You sympathized with the prisoners and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. Wow. Because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence which has a great reward. Verse 36, this is what it says. For you need endurance so that after you have done God's will, you may receive 
what was promised. Like these Hebrews who are enduring suffering and persecution, almost all of us in this room are also enduring suffering of some sort. You may not be suffering in the sense of having your possessions taken away, but you know the way in which you're suffering, and oftentimes the way we suffer is in silence and alone. That's how a lot of you are suffering. We're suffering in silence, and we're suffering alone. Some of us like to keep ourselves busy so we don't have to think about the realities of our current circumstances. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we suffer in such a way where we wonder if our Christian faith has any real-world usage at all. Be honest if that's you. You start thinking, okay, I'm a Christian, but what does that have to do with anything? Okay, we gather, but what does that have to do with anything? The context of this passage this morning is not to guilt you, but to give you a recipe for endurance in this Christian world. And the recipe for endurance is found in the gathering of the saints, or what some of us like to call going to church. It's a recipe for endurance. There's two pointed realities from that text in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, that we're going to look at. The first is this that we need to hold fast to the confession of our hope. And the second is this, that we need to consider one another. These are the the primary uh, realities from the text. We have to hold fast to the confession of our hope and consider one another. And I submit to you that this is what we do when we gather. We hold fast to the confession of our hope and we consider one another. Let's look at the first one, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. It says, let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. Stop there. A right question to ask from that passage is, how do we hold on to the confession of our hope? How do we do that? A right answer is this. We do it together by the preaching and teaching of his word. That's what we do when we come here on Sunday. We sing and we hear, we sit under God's word. And as we sing God's word, it reinforces our belief in our faith. Therefore, we can accomplish the next part of the verse. We can hold on to it without wavering. Because we're hearing God's word uh, 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 till the soils of our heart. And we're singing God's word as a confessional statement as to who Jesus is. And that is reinforcing the faith in which we have. And we're reminding ourselves of this truth at the end of that verse. He who promised is faithful. This is what we come here to hear. This is the confession of our hope. In Jesus, we have faithful hope. We have the hope of salvation. We have hope of salvation from God's wrath. We have hope from freedom and forgiveness of our sins. And we have the unity with, and we have unity with God and the brethren. In Jesus, the scriptures teach in, in 2 Corinthians 1.20 that all the promises of God are yes and amen for those who believe. And so as we read our scriptures and we see God promising things to his people, we know that in Christ we can receive such promises from him. We gather in order to uh, do communion together, to eat and remember the sacrifice of our Lord together. That's why we come up in this place. We're remembering the truth and the realities of who Jesus is so that we can endure. And if we claim that Jesus is more than a conqueror, then we know that us being in him is able to conquer all things that are thrown in our direction. Gathering to hear the word is prescribed throughout the whole New Testament. We see it in Acts 15, we see it in Colossians 4, we see it in 1 Timothy 
4. The recipe for endurance is to hold fast to the confession through hearing God's word and singing his word together. So the first reason why you're here is to hear God's word and to sing praises unto God because one, it glorifies him and two, it girds your faith. But that's the easy part. That's the part that everybody got on smash. Come, sit, listen, leave. That's been our recipe for church for generations. That's been, your, that's been your recipe for church. That's been my recipe for church. And part of me thinks it's in the nomenclature because we shouldn't be calling this church. You're the church. This is a gathering. But we get so used to calling this the church that now the church goes to the church, which means I'm not the church because the church is some place that I go to. Not true. And then we blame the church for not being the church when you're the church. So who's to blame? What's the problem? This is why we need something that I pray for all the time. We need theological precision. And that's not even hard. We see it. It's called the gathering. This is the gathering of the saints. But this second thing is the hard thing. This is the thing we struggle to do. What does the text tell us to do? In verse 24, consider one another. That's the problem. That's the hard part. That's the workhorse. You guys ever, um, you know, try to get in shape for your New Year's resolution, and then you do about three push-ups, and you realize, oh, this is going to hurt? And then three push-ups turn to two? And then it turns to every other day? We're averse to hard things. Anytime we see, as soon as the hill gets slightly steep, we start quitting. We don't want to be, and another thing, oh man, I ain't following my sermon no more. And we don't want to be blamed for the quitting. It's crazy. We don't put in the work, and then we blame something else for what we've refused to put the work into. It's amazing. Come, sit, listen, go mentality. It is killing churches. And by God's grace, it ain't going to kill this gathering. And that's why we're talking about this this morning. Not because you don't got it down to sit and hear the word of God. You can do that all day long. I could spend, you guys know, I could spend an hour on one text and we can pull it apart all we want. But I want to exhort you differently today. I want to exhort you to consider one another. The biblical model for gathering doesn't allow us to come, sit, and go. It doesn't allow it. I don't know what we do every Sunday when we come, sit, here and go, but it's not the gathering. Look at Hebrews 10.24. Hebrews 10.24 says this. It says, let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. When God, you okay, baby? Oh, baby, you okay. It's okay, it's okay. You good, you good. It's all good. He doesn't like my voice. It's okay, baby, we love you. No shame in that. It's all good. Guys, when God saved you, he didn't save you unto yourself. He assigned you a task. He assigned you a post to hold down. But we've given up that post. We've given up that function. 
We've given up that service because it's hard and we don't want to do it. We have other things to do. We need to hurry up and do church so I can go home and do what I really want to do. This is what's happened to us. God has assigned us a post to watch and he's called you. This is what he called you to do. You ready? This is for you and me. Consider one another in order to provoke love and good works. Coming, sitting, singing, hearing is only half the biblical design for the gathering. He's called you to look around, actually turn your head and to look around at one another and to consider that person. You cannot come to a gathering and not consider somebody and consider it biblical worship. So what the scriptures teach. And it may be that you've been duped into believing that this was the biblical model. And as a result, you begin to question the value of the gathering. But you can't make Kool-Aid without sugar, y'all. So you can make Kool-Aid without sugar, but it don't taste right. It ain't good. Think about this. Kool-Aid without sugar is a misrepresentation of good drink. Okay? And you can't devalue the goodness of the Kool-Aid if you've been making it wrong your whole life. If you think Kool-Aid is nasty, it's because you've been making it wrong. And then you dog the Kool-Aid makers for something that you didn't do right. (laughs) It's a you problem. In the same way, we come to the gathering with our flawed understanding of what the gathering's supposed to be, with the consumeristic attitude that I'm coming to be served by somebody only, neglecting our biblical role as a gathering, and then we devalue the gathering because it didn't quench our thirst. I didn't get what I came to get. Well, you didn't give what you had to give, neither. Everybody was like you. And as a result, everybody got what you got. We've been doing it wrong the whole time. We've been doing Kool-Aid without sugar. Guys, when we gather and it says to consider one another, I want you to consider the implication of God's command there. When God tells us to consider one another, you know what that means? It means that you have value to share. You, you, who, who are you? you? You people who think you have no value, you have nothing to share, lies from Satan. You have value to share. That's the implication. You were saved. God has blessed you with giftings and skill sets and insights and all kind of beautiful, wonderful gifts he's given you, uniquely you, the fingerprint, just you. And God wants you to take that thing and use that thing for one another as we consider one another. You have perspectives to offer. You have gifts to contribute. Look around and consider the people around you. Really, real, honestly, real, real quick, look around at the people around you. This feels weird, right? Because we don't consider one another enough. It should be nothing. You should be looking around like. Instead, we look around like. Y'all feel the difference? That's the result of a consumeristic culture that's infiltrated what God has designed for us to be. When you look around, around us, this represents people in this room who are living with cancer. There are people struggling with depression. There are people who have been scarred by miscarriage. In this place, there are people fighting addictions to drugs and to pornography. In this place, there are people struggling with loneliness. And yet God has called you here and them here, all at the same place at the same time. That's not called coincidence, that's called divine design. That's on purpose. 
Because there are also people in here who are indwelt by the Spirit of God. There are people in here who have experienced victory in Jesus. There are people in here who have walked that walk and fought that fight. The same fight that you're in, they were in last year, two years ago. And the biblical design isn't for you to endure these battles, have your victories in Jesus, come here and share none of the spoils with the people around you. Our duty is to come in here with all that we have, the baggage and the victory, and we lay hands on one another, and we consider one another, and we share with one another. And I tell, man, I'm struggling with X, Y, Z. Well, you ain't struggling this week because I got you. Let's put them hands on you and pray. And we're going to pray together. And then that brother's gift or that sister's gift of prayer and faith is going to enthusiastically enlighten me and invigorate me. And I'm going to go home because they got my number now. And we're going to do this life together because that brother or sister took the time to consider me but I didn't just receive because I saw somebody else sitting alone. And so I walked over there to sit with that person who was sitting alone. And I said, homie, tell me your story. I know I'm supposed to know your name, but I don't. I see you every week, but I I never ask, I'm sorry. What's your name? Where you from? What's your life like? You know what that demands of you? Time, energy, resources. But ain't nobody got time for that. God's design is to show you that in him, you've got work to do. You have value to share. Even our kids, just, this, just watching them dance and sing. You know what that, know what that taught me? Why well, I'm so tight up in here. I'm so tight up in here, worried about what everybody else thinks. Man, bump everybody else. I'm here to praise God. Right? I'm not going to step on nobody while I'm doing it, but come on. But they free. They loose. They don't care if they look silly. They're... I hope they're praising God. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> but we be up in here like, uh, afraid. Consider those around you. We gather to love one another. We gather to serve one another. We gather to know and be known. That's why we gather, to know and be known. We gather to point each other to Jesus. We gather to provoke one another to love and good works. That's what the text says. Consider one another and then provoke one another to love and good works. You know what that means? We don't allow anybody in here that we see to be complacent. We challenge one another too. Man, you've been, you, you, have you been sharing your faith with anybody? What's going on? You haven't? What's wrong? Maybe they're not believing the gospel for themselves. They need you to preach it to them so that they can go out and preach the gospel to others. How do we do that? Colossians 3.16 tells us a recipe for how to provoke one another to love and good works. This is what it says. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. You know what that is? That's the words of truth that we sing on Sunday mornings. That's the word of the, of the sermon that comes from the word of God in the, uh, on Sunday mornings from here. That's the word that you read last night that's for somebody this morning. That's what, let the word of Christ dwell amongst you, individually and corporately. Don't be afraid to pray scripture over each other. Don't be afraid to, 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 to open a text and say, brother, I, this is on my heart. I feel like this is for you. Take it or leave it. Here it is. And give that person that word. That's that word from God that they might need. You don't even know. But we embarrassed? Nah, this is the brethren. We can do that. It says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, three, uh, Colossians 3.16. In all wisdom and teaching, it says to what? Admonish one another. You know what that means? Correct one another. You know your friends or your friends, the ones who check you? I mean, you talk a lot. That's your friend. 
You need that, you need that dude that's going to tell you, you, you wildin', B. That's what you need. That's a friend. And in this place, we can do that. We can have those converse, hard conversations around uh, our lives and what we're doing. And it says to do it how? It says to admonish one another with psalms, with hymns, with spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in our hearts. James 5.16 says this, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Man, can that happen in the gathering? That we confess to one another and then we pray for one another? And then can we do this? Can we not gossip about what we heard? Because that's one of the main reasons why people stop sharing. That ain't for the dude next door over there. I'm confiding in you. And I, I got to get this off my chest, and I need you to put your hands on me. I'm about to go down. I'm struggling out here. But the fear is you're going to go tell everybody going to be on social media for the end of the night. But if we took that sin serious, we took that brother's or that sister's sin, that struggle serious, we wouldn't do such a thing. It's because we want you want some glory for knowing some secret information. You want some credit for knowing something that nobody else. Hey, did you, guess, what I, guess what I heard? Ah, oh, pray. Speak it unto God. If you read 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 17 through 16, it's the context of the gathering of the saints. They come, they, they worship God, they serve one another, and they do communion together, and they're pointing one another toward Jesus. That's the vision statement of, of Pillar Church. Is it not leading people closer to Jesus and each other? Because that's what we do when we gather. That's what we do when we walk around the block praying for people and engaging people. We want them to get close to Jesus and then close to God's people. Fast. How do we consider one another? Practically, we come out of our comfort zone and talk to each other. We reintroduce ourselves to each other. We have each other over for meals. We pray together, serve together, give to one another. This should be a place where you feel like the person sitting around you got your back if you found yourself in a hard situation. If you don't feel like that, that's a problem. But then ask yourself this, do I got their back if they find themselves in a hard situation? That's how this, this should feel. Don't be Kool-Aid without sugar and complain that the gathering's not sweet. If we die to self, be transparent and do this thing the way God designed it, it will give us the strength to endure. And I think that so many people are falling away from the faith because we've done things halfway, and that's not good enough to hold us. We've devalued the gathering because we don't know what the gathering is. We don't know what our role or our position or our duty or anything that we do within the gathering is. And so we find people devaluing the gathering. And what happens? Over time, they devalue Christ. And then what happens over time? They walk away completely. Because what they were getting from the beginning at the house of worship was not what God described and prescribed. Because if I'm considering that brother, if I'm considering that sister, there wouldn't be an opportunity for Satan to slip his hands on him. If we do the gathering right and we have a, contr a contributor uh, mindset and not a consumer mindset, our gatherings will be a testament of faith to the world around us as well. 
It will show off the power of the blood of Jesus to unify a sinful people to God and to unify a sinful people together. This is one of the most beautiful mysteries of the gospel that we see in Ephesians 2 through 4, when Paul talks about the, the mystery of the gospel. It's the unification of peoples who previously had beef. It's the unification of a people who previously had beef with God. And yet now they're unified with God and they're unified with one another. That's the beauty of Ephesians 2. And then Paul's like, yo, this is a mystery out here, how God unifies people. You know what's beautiful about the gathering of saints is that it should be a place where Democrats and Republicans can come in the same place and worship the same God and serve one another and love one another despite the political differences. That's the two biggest gangs in America right now. Oh, oh you a Republican? No, nah, we can't. I can't. Nah. Are you, are you a Democrat? Oh, you one of those. Oh, okay. But it's crazy. That has no place in the house of God. No place in the house of God. In fact, what we do is we submit to the ploys of Satan and allow the outside divisions to infiltrate the church. And then we carry along the outside divisions in here. And now you've got the Democrats on one side and the Republicans on the other. Fox News versus MSNBC up in here. No. Not in this place. This is a place where they unite, where black and white and brown, Asian, hip-hop heads, jazz fans, old people, young people, lawyers and teachers, business owners, carpenters, labor workers, business owners, they all gather in one place and have a genuine love for one another despite what they do. And the world's wondering, why are you hanging out with them? That's a great thing we want. In our gathering, the gathering itself should evangelize the community that it's in. As they're sitting out, peeking through the window, and they see all these different types of people that represent it in the, in the radius of the area in which the church is, going into that one building, and they might just step foot in that building. And once they do, they see all these different types of people singing to one God, putting their hands on one another, and praying for one another, and hugging one another, and caring for one another. And they're like, what's going on up in here? And you know what we're going to tell them? When they ask them, how did this happen? The blood. We're united by the blood of Jesus. It's the bond of peace. It's what brings us together. What did, John, what did Jesus teach us in John 13, 35? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. And to love one another, we've got to consider one another. When we're welcoming our neighbors and our friends to a unified place where they can be loved and prayed for and they'll hear the greatest story ever told. That's God's design for our gathering. They're going to be loved and prayed for by the people, but they're also going to be able to hear the greatest news ever told. But guess what? It doesn't have to be from the voices of the elders that they hear that. Because if you're a contributor and not only a consumer, they're hearing the gospel and all of its beauty from the lips of the people of the church the people of the gathering themselves, because they've come up in here knowing that, man, God has given me a word to share. And if I don't have a word from scripture, I got my testimony in my life that I can give to somebody else. And maybe, just maybe, the Lord will use that to redeem somebody's soul. And once they see this dude coming, this young lady comes and talks to him and sits with them and shares with them. The same gospel truth, whole different background and perspective. And they might be just sitting there like, man, this blood of Jesus thing is something serious. Yeah, because the gathering is something serious, y'all. This is serious business, which y'all just came up into. You got a role to play. You got a piece of this. You got a part of this pie. This is, you are the gathering. This is, come on. 
We get to tell them together that there's a God who created them. There's a God in heaven who they've sinned against. We get to tell them together that they are in danger of God's judgment, that they need salvation from God, and that only God could save them from God. We get to tell them that there's nothing that they can do of their own initiative, in their own accord, to be reconciled to God because of the sins that they have committed. Nothing they can do. Nothing they can do. There is nothing a sinner can do to be reconciled to God. Did y'all know that? Nothing he can do. But we get to tell him about somebody who did something for people just like us. We're unable to come to God. And so God had to come to us. And Jesus Christ gives of his own life, sacrificing himself through beatings, brutality of a cross, and enduring God's wrath, absorbing his punishment, dying and being buried, though Jesus did nothing wrong. But God knew if he was going to save humanity, he had to put on flesh, enter in, satisfy his own justice on behalf of those who couldn't satisfy it of their own accord. And we get to tell that person that they are free from performance-based salvation. If they've been churched their whole life, but they don't know the gospel, we can tell them, you know that, that, that your singing of hallelujahs isn't what saves you. It's the response of being saved. We get to tell them of a savior who redeems people who in faith turn from their sin and trust themselves to Jesus, all of themselves to him. And that Jesus will gladly accept and welcome in and satisfy the wrath on behalf of those who trust in his name, in his name alone. But you can't work to get salvation. And guess what? You don't have to work to be loved up in this place. Now, one day, this glorious Savior will return to judge the living and the dead. Guys, this is a place where truth and freedom must ring. And it must ring not only from this pulpit or this stage, it must ring from your lips and your heart. This is a place where we let freedom ring, freedom from sin, freedom from false teaching, freedom from unnecessary division. We have to let truth and freedom ring in this place. We have to encourage one another every time we gather. Can we commit to doing that before God this morning? That when you leave this place, you're not leaving unto yourself. So everybody going to be watching you walk to your car. And that if you come back to this place, you're not just here unto yourself. Because you're on the lookout for that person who's alone. The person who comes in who's low. We're going to encourage each other every time we gather because Hebrews 10.25, look at it. This is why he says it. Not neglecting to gather as some are in the habit of doing. But what are we going to do instead? It's a juxtaposition. We're going to encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. Why are you here this morning? To be a partaker, participant, and distributor of the gospel of freedom. That's why you're here. Why are you here this morning? You're here to be shaped and nourished by God's word. You're here to sing unto God and to one another of our glorious Savior. Why? You're here because you have value to offer. 
You have perspective to share. You have prayers to pray and hands to lay. You're here to know and to be known. You're here to practice grace and practice mercy with one another. You're here because you belong here. This is what Christians do. We're here to make much of Jesus for he is the savior of the world. Guys, Christians gather, Christians do for one another. And in so doing, guess what we do? We endure. If we do this thing right, we'll be looking at the Savior at the end of our days and he will say, well done. Because we didn't have a chance to stray. Because our people held our people accountable. As you leave here today, don't leave on an island. Engage. Share. Pray. Love one another. It's go- Can I tell you this? Really, real quick? It's going to feel very weird. Okay? Expect it. Elephants in the room. Just shoot it. Just shoot it. Walk up to the elephant. Man, I don't, I don't remember your name. Just do it. Break the ice right away. Love one another. If somebody says I'm good, be like, cool, you good. I'm glad you're good. I'm not. You got a minute. Hopefully they do. That's why you're here. Father, I thank you for this little bit of truth that we got from Hebrews chapter 10. It's a reminder of what we're supposed to be doing up in this piece. We're to be the unified people of God. Unified because of our doctrinal beliefs. Unified because of our love for one another, but we're unified because we've been blood-bought by the, by the Savior himself. And that you've placed people from all kinds of walks of life together into one place. People struggling with different kinds of sicknesses and diseases and sins and problems, troubles, hardships. People up in here done lost their job. There's people in here who don't know if they even really believe the truth of the gospel. There are people in here who have been faithfully coming and still feel like they don't belong. And so Satan has a foothold. Keeps them on the fringes. Devalues them as people. But no, (laughs) it's a lie. We don't have value intrinsically, meaning from within ourselves. We have value because you've extrinsically placed it upon us. We're dirt. But you breath, you've given us the breath of life and you've, you've taken residence in those who believe. We have immense value in your sight. So much so that you would die to redeem the very people and creation that you made. We are made, it's the text says, in the image of God. So that means my brother over there, my sister over there got value. And that means that I have value because I got something to say, something to share. I, I am humble enough to listen to somebody share a word for me. And in so doing, just maybe we can do this thing the right way. And just maybe we won't see people falling away from the faith, but clamoring to Jesus. That the mystery of the gospel would captivate not only their soul vertically, but it would captivate and develop a love for one another horizontally. Lord, have your way in this place. Turn us to consider one another. 
to exhort one another to hold fast to the confession of our faith in Christ. Lord, you receive all the glory in Christ's name. Amen.